This is In-Ear Insights, the Trust Insights Podcast. In this week's In-Ear Insights, we are gearing up for conference season. Uh, we just had uh, last week a, a chat with uh, Kathy McPhelps from the Marketing AI Institute. And one of the questions from sort of the Q&A period I thought was very interesting was, uh, what are some of the more high level or higher complexity implementations of AI you've seen used in marketing that from uh, Dr. Ashley Lydiard. So Katie, in terms of this as a topic, you know, what comes to mind for you in terms when, when someone asks, show me something like really complex. I do that to you all the time. Yeah. And obviously I'm not the person to be showing off the complex things. Um, so that's a great question. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. It, it, strikes me that a lot of the stuff we do, uh, which to us seems really straightforward, is actually complex in comparison to what kinds of tools marketers can typically get off the shelf or have access to. So I think our attribution analysis continues to get more complex, especially as we refine the process of bringing in multiple data sets and making it a more advanced model for online and offline channels. So I think that that's definitely something um, I know that natural language processing is definitely moving right along in terms of its ability to write full bodies of content. Um, and so that I would say is probably an advanced use case. It doesn't sound like it, but the methodology to get from A to B to train the model on how you want things written is probably more work than somebody might realize. Um, so I think those are the two that stick out to me. And obviously, you know, um, you know, um, doing analysis on large quantities of data, um, something that would take someone a very long time to do is something that, Chris, you've figured out how to streamline down to mere minutes or hours, depending on how large the data set is. It's interesting when I think about that question, there's actually a slide that's in my, my Macon talk. Um, it looks like this. Um, and this is a sheet of paper and two different ways to put a hole in that sheet of paper. Uh, one is clearly not the right choice. <laughs> right? And the other is the, the, the normal sensible choice. And, and I bring this up because I think it's an interesting question, but I also think that there's a lot to be said for knowing what level of complexity you actually need. Not just, I'll be the first to raise my hand and say like, I love messing around with cool stuff and fun stuff and things, right? But I don't, for a lot of use cases, it's overkill, right? Like, mm -hmm. do you need a neural network to do basic sentiment analysis? Not, not really. Um, you know, when you, we look at something like analyzing Twitter bios, do you need uh, a sophisticated you know, neural network to, to do that? No, no, you, you just count in words. Right? It's, it's not super complex. So I think one of the challenges that we run into, and I know other people run into, is especially with vendors, getting, getting, getting a solution that is just overkill or, or not a good fit or made needlessly complex. I guess is a good way of putting it. It's just, you, you're just trying too hard. Well, it's funny. We literally maybe 30 minutes ago had this exact conversation about the approach to analyzing some data. So for one of, on behalf of one of our clients, we're putting together a feedback survey. And as the survey has evolved, the questions, the set of questions has become shorter and more focused. 
so when we originally put it together, we imagined, you know, 40, 50 questions, and we would have to write code in order to analyze a lot of text to pull out themes and, you know, sentiment, common words, those types of things. And now as we're getting closer to finishing the survey and launching it, we're realizing that, well, if it's only about 15 questions and we're only going to have five to 10 respondents on this thing, we probably don't need any code at all. We just need a well-organized Excel spreadsheet that we can look at and pull out data points. And so it's, you're absolutely right, Chris. I think understanding the purpose, the question that you're answering can help you determine how complex a solution you need. And I think that I mean, we've been talking about this, you know, six ways to Sunday, solutions in search of problems and complex AI and, you know, this, that, and the other. And so it all boils down to the same thing of what's the question you're trying to answer. It does. And when you're working with AI technologies in particular, one of the things you have to keep in mind is compute cost, right? Mm -hmm. The more complex you, you get, the greater the computational burden. Um, there are some things you know, when we I look at the attribution analysis we do, if we were to choose a more complex algorithm, what would what is typically like a five to seven minute process could be a five to seven hour process, which is fine if it's just you. But if you've got 10 clients, you know, suddenly you're talking 50 to 70 hours of compute time versus an hour of compute time. And I, I think when we're doing requirements gathering, I don't think that's taken into account enough is to say, we have to balance the outcome with mm -hmm. the, the computational cost, the expense. I was trying to put something together this morning in Watson Studio. It's like, you know, this operation will cost you 20 hours of compute time. Like, cancel, <laughs> stop, don't, don't do that. Like, I, I don't know what it was that it was, it was saying. Like, this is a really expensive operation. But right. it got me thinking, like, that's that's overkill. Well, and it it goes back to sort of, you know, getting those business requirements and playing out those scenarios. So, you know, a lot of times we talk about scenario planning in terms of what happens if you don't do the thing versus what happens if you do the thing. In this instance, the scenarios that you're really describing, Chris, are, you know, what if I want the Toyota Tercel? Is that going to get me from A to B? Yeah, absolutely. What if I want the, you know, Nissan? Will that get me to A to B? Yep. What if I want the, you know, whatever the tes latest Tesla is? Will that get me from A to B? Absolutely. They all get you from A to B. It's just a matter of how much you're willing to invest and how fast you want to get there. And so thinking about it in that context, you might say, so Chris, you know, you said, okay, 20 hours of compute time. I don't need that. So maybe the Toyota Tercel is good enough to get you from A to B and you can continue to, you know, change the tires and make sure that your engine fluid is, you know, always fresh or whatever cars do. I don't know. I'm not a mechanic. Um, this is probably a terrible example. So, but make sure your brakes are working correctly. Um, you know, maybe you spring for an automatic car starter to make it a little bit more like up to date. So there's things that you can do to build on over time instead of starting with the Tesla. Yeah, and now going back to Ashley's question about what are some of the more sophisticated things, there are some things where the the models, being the pieces of software being used, 
do have to have a certain level of sophistication. Like if you're doing natural language generation, there isn't a, a, a cheap or easier shortcut for a lot of that stuff. There really is. You've got to use the big, heavy uh, uh, compute power because it is it has the highest level of accuracy. So I guess that's your third trade-off is you, you have your requirements, you have the mm -hmm. computational costs, and then you have the quality of the outcome. Mm -hmm. And you got to kind of push and pull and say, okay, well, if we really want the quality of the outcome to be high, it's going to push the compute price up and it's going to make the business requirements a lot more challenging because you have to be very, very clear about what it is that you want this thing to do. LinkedIn discovered that when they started building with you know deep learning models for, for their analysis of what members were posting. Like, yeah, you need to invest a lot of money and a lot of compute time to make this work. But when you look at those outcomes, you're like, wow, those, those are really, really good outcomes. Like when these uh, language models start writing like entire press releases all by themselves, you're like, wow, that's oh, slightly alarming. So what's interesting, Chris, is what you're describing is the three constraints of project management. This is a very old theory. And so basically your quality is determined by your time, your scope and your budget. And it's not that you can't have all three, but each of those balances out in terms of the quality of the output. So if you want it, I think you have a different version of this in your talks. Like if you want it fast and cheap, then you can't have this, or if you want yeah, it yeah. like, you know, so it's, it's along those lines. So that's essentially what you're describing is of these three things, you can pick two. So which of these two things do you want? Do you want it fast and cheap? Do you want it expensive and high quality? Like what, what is the most important to you in terms of the output? Right. Yeah. It's fast, cheap, good. And the, unless you're Google, I even it, those constraints still apply to Google. You really can get a situation where you can have all three, right? You, you have to trade something off somewhere. Um, right. And I think a lot of folks are under the impression that AI and all these technologies somehow nullify uh, that that trade-off. Like, yes, you, you you can have your cake and eat it too. Well, no, you can't. So, what is it about AI? And this this might be a rat hole question, but what is it about <laughs> AI that people that people think is is going to suddenly, you know? solve all of those problems is it because i you know i think about this when i hear these questions come up and maybe maybe i'm asking the wrong question this is this is me my brain processing information live on the podcast um you know so i as a cmo i want to introduce ai in order to cut down the time it takes to write content for example so i introduce ai natural language processing and it writes content well, guess what? Someone still has to edit that content. Someone still has to post that content. You know, someone still has to tell the AI what to write about. So there's still a planning aspect of it. So did the AI save you any time or is it more of a headache to get everything set up and working the way that you want it to? And it's never perfect. I think it's three things. It's understanding culture and expectations. So understanding is the first thing. People don't understand the technology. They don't understand what it can and can't do. They mm -hmm. kind of assume it's magic. Um, and therefore, because they don't understand the underpinnings of it, they don't know what its limitations are. Secondly, it's cultural. 
you know, everything from Wally and Short Circuit to Terminator movies and things have created this perception that machines are A, infallible, and B, are much more capable than they actually are. And third, and I think this is where we see the problem in business, is level of expectations. Everyone who asks questions like that is looking for a shortcut. They're looking yes. for disproportionate returns on their investment. It's the same thing we see in public relations. You know, when when that was sort of the pitch of a PR firm was you could get disproportionate results for the dollars you invest. We would always say in pitches, advertising is linear. You put a dollar in, you get this, right? And you put another dollar in, you get this plus this. And it scales. So you, you keep putting more dollars in and you keep getting this, you know, mission curve. And the promise of PR, which almost never worked out, um, was that you put a dollar in, you get $10 out, right? You know, you get this big story in the Wall Street Journal and suddenly the world would beat a path to your door. And that was the promise that, they, that you know, PR folks would pitch for years. And I think mm -hmm. the AI thing does the same thing. It's like, hey, if you use this machine, you're going to see disproportionate results, like winning the lottery. Um, magic will happen and everything will be better. Certainly that's what the vendors say. Mm -hmm. Well, so, you know, that brings up, uh, a different aspect of AI is it's only as good as the data that you feed it. And so if you knew how to pick the winning lottery numbers every single time, you wouldn't need AI. So feeding losing lottery numbers into an AI isn't going to suddenly predict winning lottery numbers. And so if we keep going with this example of writing content, that was, you said sort of what I was thinking was, are people just looking for shortcuts? Because they don't want to write content or, you know, and so if you don't want to write content, then the content that you're currently creating is probably not great. So you put your content into this AI to write your content for you. Guess what? You're still going to have not great content because the AI can only write what you give it. So that's where I think there is some potential for a slightly disproportionate results. Because if you hate writing content and you're bad at it, you just crank out crap. And right. use a a naive pre-trained model like GPTJ, for example, and you have it right. It's going to create mediocre content. It's, it's not going to create crap like you face rolling against your keyboard is going to create garbage. Um, it will create, you know, like a, a white bread and mayo sandwich. No one, you know, you'll, you won't starve to death, but no one's asking for that at, at you know, Chez Panisse. I like those, by the way. So <laughs> I would ask for that. <laughs> Artisanal mayonnaise. Uh, oh, sorry, the artisanal one feels. <laughs> uh, but if your content's crap and the AI content is mediocre, that's already an improvement, right? It's an improvement mm -hmm. over the garbage you're putting out. And in all honesty, when you get a lot of the marketing communications we get from other companies, it is garbage. So AI producing mediocre would actually be a disproportionate return on your investment because you're no longer handing out pure garbage. Now, is that good enough to stand out? No. Is it good enough? You know, it's it's like AI creating music. I used um, the the a, uh, Ava tool for uh, creating the music for the pre-roll for for the talk I did with Kathy. You know, I use AI for, for its intended purpose. Was it great music? Mm -mm. Is it going to win a Grammy? No. Is it good enough for like a one-time broadcast? Sure. It was it was inoffensive. Well, and I guess that's sort of back to where we started was, you know, if you think about the different use cases or the different versions, how complex to how simple, you know, I think it's always probably a good option to start with. Is it good enough? 
Um, are you going to get good enough data to do something with? Because you can always improve upon it. I think the trap that a lot of us fall into, and we've, we've been guilty of it, so we're not pointing fingers, is we try to perfect something. So we spend much more time, much more energy, much more budget and resources trying to perfect something before just, okay, now we just need to start using it. And I think the same is true of AI. Um, you know, we try to make it perfect and do exactly every little bit and piece that we want it to do. It needs to write our content and fold our laundry and make our coffee and balance our checkbook and hire people. Like you could maybe just start with one of those things. Exactly. And the other thing that computation I think is very interesting, and I forget where I heard this, um, is that AI is bad at what we're good at and AI is good at what we're bad at. Machine tasks like computer vision, natural language processing and stuff are very intense, compute intensive processes that are very difficult for machines to learn. On the other hand, doing something like lo logistic regression, super easy and fast for a machine, but you and I are like, uh, I can't do that by hand. I mean, it's, it's, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you look at the formula for logistic regression, you're like, uh, what goes where? <laughs> but the machine's like, okay, cool. You need a million record data set, you know, logistic regression across it here, done. And right. so from, you know, to Ashley's question about, you know, where, what are the higher level applications? In, in some ways you don't actually, you may not actually need them for some of the things you're trying to do. And to your point, there may be some easy wins in the tasks that we're not good at, that the machines could crunch, you know, instantly and, and to save us a whole bunch of time. So what, you know, what strikes me is one of the misunderstandings of how AI works. I think there's this, you know, idea that AI produces things instantly, and that's where the time savings is going to happen. Like, I press a button and the AI automatically shoots something out at you and you have the thing. And, you know, what you're describing, Chris, is, you know, five, 10, 20 hours of computation time. And so is it machine learning? Yes, it absolutely is. But it's just running in the background. It's not doing anything exciting or interesting. You're just watching your terminal screen just like churn through line after line after line. But that's, that's what it is. That's how it works. And it's not depending on what it is, it may not be faster. It may be faster than someone trying to hand compute all of that stuff, but it still takes time to run all of all of that information through to create what may be a single line output. And I think that that's a misunderstanding in terms of you know, how it works, but also when you factor in the complexity. And so obviously the more data that you have, um, the more things you want it to do, you know, go down the list, the longer the AI is going to take to give you back a result. It could be, you know, three days. It's interesting you say that too, because I think the the AI and machine learning community have not done a real good job of explaining like the difference between data science and AI. And I think that distinction is important for marketers because many times you're probably asking for something for, that's the wrong thing. So the mm -hmm. fundamental output of data science is an answer. I have a question, here's an answer. The fundamental output of AI is a piece of software. Hey, I need a machine to do this thing. The machine creates its own software. 
if you're looking for an answer, you're not looking for AI. You're looking for data science. You're looking for like, it, you know, what channels worked best. You may use machine learning techniques, you know, like Markov chains for that, or, or for example. But mm -hmm. fundamentally, you're not getting a piece of software you put into production. You're getting an answer to your question, like, oh, let's spend less money on Facebook. Um, whereas if you are looking for a piece of software to do the thing a lot, then, mm -hmm. you're, then you're looking for AI. And I think that distinction is kind of lost on people. I would agree with that. I've heard, you know, machine learning, data science, AI, all of those things used interchangeably. And I know when we talk about artificial intelligence, we talk about the hierarchy of statistics, machine learning, deep learning, those things, and how they all are different layers of artificial intelligence. And so you might just be doing statistics. You might just be using a piece of code to run a linear regression model. Is that machine learning? Yes. Is it artificial intelligence? Yeah. Sort of, not really. You're really just expediting the mathematical equation. You know, the right. it, it's not giving you any information outside of what you've asked it to do. It's not learning anything. It's literally just computing quickly. And so and I think you're absolutely okay. And that might be okay. You know, it's funny. I, I look at this image. Um, if you're listening to us, then you can see the image uh, up on our YouTube channel for this. And we can post this image uh, along with our social posts of this podcast. But basically what I see is the Chris Penn tool and the Katie Robert tool. So if you asked and, and I mean that lightheartedly. Like if you ask both of us to make a hole in a piece of paper, I'm going to grab the hole punch and Chris is going to grab the power tool. And I think that it speaks volumes to our approach of how to solve the same problem. And that's, you know, something that you can look at within your own organization, with your own teams. If you ask everybody the same question, how do they approach solving the problem? And that will give you a good understanding of you know, how complex the solution might need to be. Yep. And yeah. And, and one of the things that I think really reemphasizes that is uh, we've seen it in Google's handbook for developers around machine learning. The first rule in their machine learning handbook is if you don't have to use machine learning, don't use it because it's incredibly compute expensive. And, you know, for that to be the first rule in the machine learning handbook is like, oh, that's interesting instead of you the answer you'd expect is make everything a machine learning problem just solve everything with machine learning do you think that people try to use machine learning just to say that they're using it to sound advanced to you know give this perception of things that aren't actually true uh-huh Without a doubt. In 2018, the Financial Times investigated 100 companies that said they use machine learning, and 35 of them were lying. Just not a scrap of machine learning anywhere. They were lying just for marketing purposes to say that, you know, they were they were trendy. You know, they were one of the cool kids, too. Um, and they, I, that's very much the case where, you know, because there is this perception, and we're going back to our, our three factors, mm -hmm. uh, that machine learning can give you disproportionate returns mm -hmm. it then in vendors mind says that we can charge more for this right oh if we're using machine learning 
I can I can add a zero to the price tag. And then on the other side of the table, the CMO is saying, oh, they're using machine learning. I'll get 10x better results out of this. Mm -hmm. uh, so it justifies the increased price tag. And you know, the realists are all saying, all of you are lying to yourselves and each other. I, I find that psychology really fascinating. I can understand it from the wanting to you know, create this perceived value of if you're using AI, then it must be better. Um, but the realist in me is like, well, who cares how it gets done as long as the results are good? Like, you should be signing up for the tool that gives you the best results based on what your needs are, regardless of whether or not they use AI or not. And I get that that's a very, you know, difficult thing for people to stand behind because there's a lot of pressure to be doing the latest and greatest and staying ahead. But quite honestly, sometimes the latest technology isn't going to give you the answer that you need. Or it's going to give you it in a way that's not sensible. We ran into this two weeks ago when I was cleaning up our Instagram influencer list. I had a list of 14,000 Instagram accounts and I have the URLs of those accounts. And so my choices were, could I write a scraper and an image recognition, image recognition algorithm that would do facial detection? Like, is there a face in this image? Yes or no. And I figured it was going to take me about 80 hours of work to code this thing to, to make it run. Um, or I could set up a process on mechanical Amazon Mechanical Turk, make a, a bounty of one penny for every every account you you verified. Uh, so you click on the link, go to the Instagram profile, and then you know go back to Turk and say, is there a picture of a human in this profile? Yes or no. It was done in an hour and a half from the time I launched it, and it cost two hundred thirty dollars to screen all fourteen thousand accounts. The error rate was about one percent. The machine error rate in the first time around is going to be around 70, 75 percent rate. So 20, 25, 25 to 30 wrong is the error rate. So I had this choice of using artificial intelligence, which would have cost 80 hours of time, no dollars, but 80 hours of time and a 30 percent error rate or using human intelligence or, you know, a couple hundred bucks, but a one percent error rate and, and done in an hour and a half instead of 80 hours. Just because there's an AI solution didn't mean it was the right choice in that example. It was the wrong choice. Yeah. I think that's hard for people to come to that conclusion. Because um, a lot of it is you don't know what you don't know. And so they'll reach for the AI solution because they don't know what the other option is. They don't know how to solve the problem themselves. Otherwise, they may not know that something like a mechanical Turk exists to solve this problem. So I think that a lot of it is around just education. And so, you know, that Google developer handbook saying, if you don't need to use machine learning, don't, I think it's a good place to start. But what it doesn't do is, and it's not their job to do it, but what it doesn't do is educate, like, here's the other things you could be doing instead. Exactly. Here's all the different options. And you're right. A lot of people may not know that tools like Mechanical Turk and Upwork and all these places exist that can use human intelligence, which is still, for the most part, uh, you know. <laughs> I can see how painful point. it is for you to say this. It is because, you know, I look at some of the, the things people say in the news and like, wow, how did we ever survive as a species with people that dumb? But, uh, you know, that's that, that's for another show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably not this show. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, I think, though, that raises an interesting point. Um, to round out to Ashley's question about what are the most sophisticated forms of AI, I actually think at the, the 
both the bottom and the top of the pyramid is human intelligence to to be able to say like yeah there's a bunch of things machines are good at there's a whole bunch of things machines are bad at and the the really sophisticated marketer knows when to use which i would agree with that because i think once again all the ai in the world is great but at the end of the day a human still needs to create it build it maintain it exactly it's it's no different than your blender it's just not as tasty when it's done and on that note <laughs> and on that note if you've got comments or questions about anything in today's episode please hop on over to our free slack group go to trustinsights.ai analytics for marketers where you and over 1900 other folks uh, can talk about analytics data science your your marketing challenge of the week or ai uh, to your heart's content and wherever it is that you're watching or listening to today's show if there's a channel you prefer it to be on go to trustinsights.ai ti podcast where you can see uh, all the other options thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you next time Need help making your marketing platforms, processes, and people work smarter? Visit trustinsights.ai today and learn how we can help you deliver more impact.